Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack family. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 123. Have you ever wondered how we reached a point in America where we're faced with the probability of our great nation becoming a communist state? I'm not talking mere socialism, but full-blown communism, what radio commentator Mark Levin calls American Marxism. We're going to explain that in this week's episode. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the episodes page, blog page, or about the show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you the links that will pay this apostolate a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. The Catholic Church is perfect. What I mean by perfection is that it's a divine institution, the mystical body of Christ, so it's impossible for the church to be anything other than perfect. Right now you're probably saying, Joe, you can't say that. We have a pope who promotes heresy and pagan worship. We have bishops who refuse to teach the faith and even promote evil in the form of the LGBT ideology. There are priests who'd rather watch us burn in hell than stand up for the truth of Christ. If you're one of the people who said that, I have to say you're 100% correct. When Jesus established his church, that made it divine and therefore perfect. But he established it in such a way that there'd have to be human cooperation in the form of a hierarchy. Like Judas, who walked with, ate with, and slept next to Jesus, these evil men in our divinely appointed hierarchy have betrayed him. By necessity, that means they've also betrayed us. Michael Voris of Church Militant has synthesized in eight and a half minutes the best take on this I've ever heard. He's certainly more eloquent than I am. By the way, we're having Michael on the show next week. For now, though, let's listen to what Voris has to say, then I'll come back with closing commentary. If someone would have said to you, say, 30 years ago, that America would be on the verge of becoming communist in the new millennium, you'd have laughed in their face. 
But that is directly where we are heading. And if you think that's an exaggeration, let's take you back two years to President Trump's 2019 State of the Union address. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. If you noticed, while the GOP members of Congress were cheering USA, the Democrats, typified by Bernie Sanders, virtually to a man, simply sat there, stone-faced. What the glib Republicans were either unaware of or were unwilling to come to terms with understandably, because it's quite a horrible notion that the plan to convert America into a communist state, those plans were already well underway, and now they're in full tilt. Trump's speech was, of course, before the COVID world, which provided the opportunity for the Marxist Democrats to steal the election and virtually cement their plans. But none of this is actually new. It's just new to some people, actually a lot of people, It's been going on for decades, actually more than a century. And if you aren't woke to Marxism taking over the United States by now, well, this vortex isn't going to convince you. But there is one point that gets overlooked by almost all political conservatives, even good Catholics among them. The groundwork for the red threat was laid in the Catholic Church first. It was called modernism which was aptly defined by Pope St. Pius X in his 1907 encyclical, note that date, 1907, Pascende Domini Grigis. He called it the synthesis of all heresies. Unsurprisingly, it was born in the same land where Marxism was born, and beyond the geography of Germany, there are striking similarities with the main one being atheism. And make no mistake, if you encounter a modernist cleric, You are dealing with an atheist. Actual or practical, he's an atheist. What do we mean by practical atheist? Well, quite simple. In all practical terms, in the day-to-day practice of his life, he conducts his affairs as if there is no God. Here is the civilizational Alpha Omega. When atheism invades the ranks of the clergy, the culture will crumble. There are, of course, a number of steps in between, and it takes a while to unfold, but the trajectory is clear and indisputable. The civilization is over. America is currently in a transition phase. What we once were is gone. What we are heading to seems pretty clear. But the question is this, what's next, kind of like right now in this interim? It's clear there are two Americas, two worldviews that have already collided, And one has essentially won or very close to having won. This state of affairs in the political realm has been brought to you courtesy of the collapse of the Catholic Church as the guardian of human dignity on its way to its everlasting destiny. And that was brought about by modernism, 
the amalgamation of what amounts to atheistic denials of divine truth being passed off as enlightened thought. For example, one of the huge earmarks of modernism is the denial of the miracle accounts in the Gospels. The so-called scholarly approach is called historical criticism, and it begins with the presumption that miracles do not happen. So any passage in Scripture relates to some kind of miracle, well, whoever wrote that really meant something else, because miracles aren't real. It's an effective denial of our Lord's divinity. And this is the first time we begin to see a strong movement in the church which takes the emphasis off our blessed Lord and puts it on the community. As this thought, which began in the Protestant universities in Germany in the 19th century, began to first seep into and then be embraced by Catholic scholars and houses of formation, it had disastrous impact on the life of the church as lived by everyday Catholics. It became a subconscious theme throughout the entire life of the church. Tradition was not only dead and to be ignored, but in some ways it was actually distorted. What was modern was the result of thought and reflection of the church and clearly marked the path moving forward. Of course, what was old were ideas like hell, damnation, guilt, personal responsibility, sin, and so forth. Once the church discarded these antiquated concepts, then the world, which never really embraced them, was more than happy to celebrate the church's enlightenment. So instead of pushing back against the world and trying to convert it, the church actually went along with the world. At that point, it became a race to the bottom, as generation after generation, encouraged by a malformed and corrupt clergy, kept allowing more and more evil, eventually promoting it. And now, here we are, on the precipice of the end of Western civilization, fashioned out of the ashes of the Roman Empire by the Catholic Church. That civilization, as it formed, admitted sin, guilt, damnation, and so forth. It did not excuse man's fallen nature and sinfulness. It sought to convert it and baptize it on the way to heaven. Now, what's left of it is providing the fumes of what the West is just skating by on for now. The strange little notions that humans have dignity based on being made in the image and likeness of Almighty God, that the intellect should govern emotions, that governments exist to safeguard man's dignity, not to confer that right, that the spiritual supersedes the material. All of these and are all of the consequences that fall from them in the political arena, all of these were brought to us by the Catholic Church. But when Catholic leaders distort these truths and throw their lots in with those who eradicate these truths, then there's no safeguard left. It is the temple which first needs purification, and since the priests of the temple have betrayed the temple and the worshipers, then God himself will have to purify the temple. Think how far we have descended as a nation, and especially as a church, in just the two years since Trump gave that speech. No matter his intent, Trump was wrong in his assessment about America never become a, becoming a socialist nation. Even he was caught off guard by the state of affairs just under the surface, what he called the swamp. It cost him his legitimate victory. But most importantly, the world collectively has lost its touchstone to the divine, and it is the Catholic hierarchy who is to blame.
Yet even now they persist in their wickedness, caving into or carrying the water for the enemies of Christ on a wide range of issues. What happens next is a question that every single faithful Catholic should concern himself with. We are called to witness to the truth of Christ, period. What form that witness will be taking is the thought on every believer's mind. Modernism had become such a prevalent and bothersome heresy by the beginning of the 20th century that Pope St. Pius X had to write an encyclical condemning it. Historically, when a pope condemned a heresy, it was stopped in its tracks. That didn't happen this time, though. Cockroaches that they are, the modernist heretics slid under the nearest rock to avoid the light of truth and scrutiny, pretended to be wholly orthodox while gaining new recruits among the clergy, and waited for their moment to slither out from under their chosen rocks and do their level best to help cause the condemnation to hell of as many Catholics as they could. The opportunity for them to begin implementing their plan of destruction came with the convocation of Vatican II. The council wasn't the problem. Vatican II was a beautiful council. I know, I read it in its entirety. The problem wasn't the council. The problem was the upheaval and confusion these evil men created afterward, and they gave it a nice-sounding theme called the spirit of Vatican II. Nowhere in the conciliar documents will you find any mention of the spirit of Vatican II, but it continues to stare us in the face some 56 years after the close of the council. The reason these nefarious men got away with sowing the seeds of confusion with this so-called spirit of Vatican II is because they knew that most priests and all of the laity would depend on the bishops and their malevolent minions to tell the Catholic lay faithful just what Vatican II was all about. That's why, in my opinion, every Catholic is morally obligated to read the conciliar documents. If my conservative estimate that 95% of Catholics are wholly ignorant of the faith is correct, then at least 99% of them have never read a single document of Vatican II. Oh, they all think they know what the Council said, but that's only because they've heard what they believe from other people. And it's been my experience that most of those who tell others what the Council taught haven't actually read any of it either. And this is how an evil Marxist faithless hierarchy has managed to spend the last 50 years cheating and lying to the laity about the faith. We've seen this strategy come full circle in its destruction. Our current pontiff is a product of the evil of both Marxist liberation theology, modernism, and socialism. Every single bishop he's appointed and cardinal he's created have all shown that they're intent on destroying the faith in their jurisdictions. And woe to those priests who live in fear of their bishops and don't stand up boldly for the truth of Christ, all the while cowardly claiming they're being prudent. I'm warning you now, fathers. In your silence and lack of action, you're condemning your own souls to an eternity in hell if you don't change your ways. LGBT flags mandatorily fly over every Catholic school in Toronto, Canada. They voluntarily fly over many Catholic schools in America without a word from the bishop. There are actually Catholic school teachers in this country who promote the entire LGBT ideology to their students, your children. 
The USCCB refuses to withhold communion from pretender Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and other politicians of their ilk, rather than publicly excommunicate them as any mediocre bishop would have done 100 years ago. Through the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, the bishops give untold millions of dollars, money you gave them thinking you were supporting good causes, to Marxist organizations who support the defunding of the police movement, the LGBT agenda, illegal immigration, abortion, and a host of other evils. Regarding the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, last year I wrote a letter to every one of my fellow parishioners that I could. I told them, with evidence, the evil things that the CCHD was doing with their money, and begged them not to give money in the annual appeal from the Archbishop. In justice, I felt I should tell my Archbishop what I was about to do. Did he respond? (laughs) You bet he did. Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky responded to me with a four-paragraph letter. The first paragraph was more or less a greeting and clarification of what he thought I was doing, which was correct. Then he spent the next three paragraphs blatantly lying to me and insulting my intelligence. It boils down to, be a good little boy, shut up and sit down and give me the money I said I want. Rather than lie to me, I'd prefer that His Excellency just come to my home, slap me in the face, and tell me that he thinks I'm stupid. Six-pack family, for years you've heard that this is the age of the laity. Most lay people have given lip service to the age of the laity without really knowing what it means. Well, if it's not apparent to you by now that saving our own souls, our beloved Catholic Church, and our nation is completely up to the laity, meaning you and me, then just put on some relaxing music and relax your way into oblivion. The most important thing about the age of the laity is the militancy it requires. You've got to get into the thick of it. You can't sit around and say you'll support whoever stands up. You can't say someone else needs to lead. You can't say we have to do something. There is no we. There's only me. You already know what has to be done. You just have to tuck away those nagging feelings of cowardice and get out there to fight. How do we fight? For Catholics, that means evangelizing every moment of every day. Stop having conversations about how things went over the weekend. Stop talking about how many fish you caught on your trip. Stop talking about the new makeup you're using. Nobody cares about these things anyway. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. If your conversation isn't dominated by thoughts of God and His church all the time, well, you just heard what Jesus said. Save our country. Save our beloved Catholic Church. Save yourself. Evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. Hey, Michael Voris here, founder and CEO of Church Militant. Come on over to our website, churchmilitant.com, and get an honest view on all things inside and outside the church. We are the fastest growing Catholic media apostolate in the world, and we have one mission, and that is serving Catholics like you. We have daily discussion, commentary, and news to keep you informed. So what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com today.
Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic vote. Governor Ron DeSantis sharply criticized YouTube at a roundtable of scientific experts after the tech giant removed a video of their previous discussion on science and policies surrounding COVID-19. Google and YouTube have, quote, not been, throughout this pandemic, repositories of truth and scientific inquiry, but instead have acted as enforcers of a narrative, end quote. DeSantis told the gathering scientists, calling tech corporations Big Tech Council of Censors in service of the ruling elite. They didn't cite any data, so he said of the YouTube's decision to remove the Florida COVID roundtable that took place last month. Amen! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Catholic Vote Senate Republicans are hoping for peace in the GOP after President Donald Trump sharply criticized Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. At a donor event, Trump called McConnell a loser and a dumb son of a bee, decrying the top Senate Republican for too readily accepting the results of the 2020 election. Some Republicans in the state worry that Trump's harsh words from McConnell could splinter the party, weakening GOP chances for much-needed victories in midterm elections next year. Fat chance. That's awesome! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to Catholic Vote Some Republicans are discussing the future of the GOP in light of a far-reaching new antitrust bill introduced by Senator Josh Hawley from my state. A statement from Hawley's office called the bill New Legislation to Take Back Control from Big Business and Return It to the American People and decried woke centers of corporate power as anti-competitive, monopolistic, and a menace to free speech. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to the Washington Examiner. Former football star Herschel Walker is considering a run for the Senate from Georgia. Former President Donald Trump has already said he would endorse the former University of Georgia star if he runs. I will tell you this. Herschel Walker believes in God. I believe in this country. I believe in the people. And I'm going to fight for the people of Georgia if I run. So just stay tuned. It's going to be exciting, Walker told Fox Business's Maria Bartiromo. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick Number One Hats off to the Catholic vote. Over 100 executives of major corporations held an online meeting to plan ways to thwart election integrity laws being considered in many states. The Washington Compost called the meeting an aggressive dialing up of corporate America's stand against election integrity laws like Georgia's. 
Critics, however, were alarmed by the move. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri called it oligarchy-defined. That just makes me mad! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair! It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. People have asked me many times why they should bother praying when God never answers their prayers. They often cite this promise made by Jesus to imply, and sometimes angrily assert, that the promise is a lie. Grieving parents and others grieving over loved ones are angry because they beg God to save the life of the one for whom they're grieving. A prisoner once asked me why he should pray for parole after more than 20 years of praying. This particular man injured someone in a traffic accident and received a life sentence because the injured woman's husband was the former state attorney general. Others were facing financial ruin through no fault of their own and begged God for help, only to be ruined anyway. The list of complaints could go on and on, and I'm certain you can think of many who feel the same way. Perhaps even you have wondered why God seemed to ignore your prayers. No one understands and empathizes more with these people than I. I used to feel the same way. The typical answer given by well-meaning Christians when people wonder aloud why bother to pray when the prayers go unanswered is not a bad answer. Indeed, it's a good answer, just not a complete answer. The typical answer given in this, God always answers prayers. He either says no, yes, or yes, but not now. Then they go on to explain that he says no the way your earthly father would do if you ask for something that can harm you. They further explain that he says yes, but later, so you can gain the greatest spiritual and temporal benefit from this gift he gives to you. While this explanation is absolutely true, it simply isn't complete, nor is it fully honest. I'm not saying that folks who give such an answer are intentionally being dishonest. I'm convinced they're being as honest as they can. I tend to think they really don't know the full honest answer. It's true that Jesus told us to ask for whatever we want. He told us over and over again to ask for what we want and that the Father would give it to us. 
Perhaps the strongest promise Jesus made about asking for what we want is the prayer found in Matthew 21, 19-22. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and found nothing on it but leaves only. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and never doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. People love to point to promises such as these and complain about them not being true. Many folks who try to explain how God answers prayer when faced with this passage focus on Jesus' words and never doubt, implying that the person did indeed doubt. There could be some truth in that, but I personally believe without doubt and still not being given what I asked for. So what's the answer? Did Jesus lie to us? Did he make a promise he won't keep? The answer to those questions is an imperative no. He most certainly made a promise, and Jesus always keeps those promises. The unfortunate reality is people only pay attention to what they like. In other words, we all have selective hearing and use selective reading comprehension. The passage at the beginning of this boot camp comes from the Sermon on the Mount narrative. Matthew's version of that sermon takes all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest example of Christ's preaching in the Gospels. Everyone isolates the promises, but they fail to pay attention to the rest. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us a lot of other things besides his promises. He gives us the Beatitudes, tells us to make our face shine to others, preaches of the evil of anger, demands we be chaste in mind and body, condemns divorce and remarriage, warns us about the taking of oaths, insists we love our enemies, teaches us how to pray and insists we do so with earnest, tells us to fast and do penance for our sins, tells us to trust in God for even the smallest things, demands that we not judge others, and tells us to treat everyone else how we want to be treated. Woo! Yeah, he made a great promise about getting anything we want in prayer, but he also gave us all these conditions that we must meet as well. God doesn't run some sort of heavenly lottery. He doesn't just hand out whatever we want the way a parent spoils a child. Would you slap your parent in the face then ask for a favor? Of course not. And if you did, you'd be a fool to expect that parent to grant the favor. But that's exactly what we do if we haphazardly live our faith or remain in our vincible ignorance of it. Jesus so hates our complacency in faith that he said in Revelation 3 verses 15 and 16, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Some versions of scripture replace the word spew with the word vomit. He places conditions on getting what we ask for. God demands that we live holy and unreservedly the faith established by Jesus Christ if we're to expect him to fulfill his promises made to us. 
So if you want Jesus to keep his promises, especially his promises of answered prayers, then you need to learn the Catholic faith as best you can, live the faith as best you can, then do your level best to fulfill another of Jesus' commands from the Sermon on the Mount. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, you're commanded by Christ to become a saint. For most of the saints in our 2,000-year history, both canonized and uncanonized, that perfection was a lifelong effort that was only finally consummated at death. But the fact is, they obeyed. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Thomas Akempis. He wrote, For nothing, how little soever, that is suffered for God's sake, can pass without merit in the sight of God. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. St. Ignatius, the martyr, gave his life to show God how much he loved him and how much he revered his holy name. Oh, Jesus, my love, were the words that were always on his lips. They gave him strength and consolation. One day the pagans took him before the judge because he was a Christian. The judge told him that if he wanted to save his life, he'd have to renounce Christ altogether. His only answer was, Oh, Jesus, my love. The judge said, Unless you stop saying these words, I'll order you to be put to the most horrible tortures. Never will I stop saying these words. When your head is cut off, you'll not be able to speak these words. Then you'll be silent. When my tongue can no longer speak the name of Jesus, St. Ignatius answered, my heart will say it as long as it beats. When they led him to the place of his execution, the last words he said were, O Jesus, my love. The name of Jesus is a source of strength in temptation and trial. Repeat it frequently with all the love of your heart. In suffering, that name will be your consolation, and in death, your salvation. Ask for the grace to die as St. Ignatius did, saying, O Jesus, my love. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.